Tyler's our, our, our designated prayer guy. He, he, we figure if he doesn't pray except once a week, it's going to be at praise team practice. We're going to get him caught up on his prayer life. Right, right, Tyler? He's shaking his head at me. He's a good boy. Well, three young boys, as boys sometimes do, got caught up together in a great and mighty boasting contest. And on this particular day, the subject of their boasting was their fathers. Each one of them held their father in high regard, and so they were working feverishly to lift high their father above all the rest. And this boasting contest had already proceeded through two rounds. And if you guys know... You know, it's kind of like I dare you, I double dare you, I double dog dare you. It just keeps building in intensity and it build, you know, and it starts to build on things that aren't quite true when the boasting really, the bragging, you know, really gets going full force. Well, as they entered round three of the daddy bragging contest, the first boy said, well, I tell you what, fellas, my dad is so fast He can shoot an arrow at the target, and then he can go and jerk the target out from in front of the arrow before it hits it. That's how fast my dad is. And the second boy said, well, that's nothing. That ain't fast. My dad can shoot his rifle at a deer, and he can run and tackle the deer before the bullet even gets there. And the third boy said, that ain't nothing, boys. My dad's got all yours beat. My mama says my daddy gets off work at 4 o'clock, but he gets home by 3.30 every day. You'll have to explain that one to your neighbor, maybe. For the past three Sundays, we've been on this journey toward training the tongue. We've already tackled the issue of truth and how God has issued this call for us, for his people, for his church, to be a people who would speak the truth. Last Sunday, we delved into the dark underworld of gossip and we we talked about the destructive power of gossip in our relationships we talked about the negative impact that it has upon the believer who would choose to to practice the dark arts of gossip and today our three bragging boys introduce us to another problem of the tongue that's a fundamental part of the human experience. Of course, I'm talking about the practice of boasting. There's the great big word, boasting. Now, tell me, um, and this is a pretty, you know, this is something I think we're more familiar with than a lot of things that we delve into theologically, but what, what is boasting? What is it? Tell me. Bragging. Now, we, always, we know what bragging is better than we know what boasting is, right? We don't use the word boast down, down here in, in the country. We say brag, but what is it? Vanity. I hear vanity. What'd you say? Look at me. Look at me. Yeah, so it's, it's calling attention to me. What else is boasting, bragging? Pride. Good word. Good word. Bad word, but good insight, right? Pride. What else? What is boasting? Bragging. Huh? I missed that. Self-love. I thought you said tough love for a minute there. I'm all all over over tough love. I like tough love. But self-love, okay. Okay, so you see the realm we're in, right? Because I looked up, I looked on the online dictionary, which you can absolutely rely on because it's online, right? It is a great dictionary. But but this was a good definition. Because if you ever look up words, I I love it because you guys know that I write. 
I write books and stuff, and you sometimes use the same words too much, and they have these, if you type in synonym of something, and you type in, and there's this whole website that has synonyms and antonyms, and if you don't know what that is, you probably need to Google that and find out what a synonym or an antonym are, but, but they're, they're, you know, they're that dictionary, you said define something, and that dictionary, and this is great, it says this, it said this, I copied it and pasted it, excessively proud and self-satisfied talk about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. That's pretty good, right? Now, there are a couple words that stand out. I circled them for you. The first one being the word proud. And which, what's the second one you think I'm going to circle? Yeah, the self portion of self-satisfied. Pr- proud, pride, and self. These two notions, and you guys mentioned them, they go straight to the heart of, of boasting because boasting is rooted in self, calling attention to self, elevating self. Boasting is that thing that we do to try to make ourselves bigger and greater and above and beyond, I don't know, maybe not everyone else, but at least the people that we're in and amongst and dealing with at that particular moment. It's that deep-seated need that we have to compete and to come out bigger, to come out better to come out in first place above everyone else. And we know biblically that, that boasting is one of our, it is one of our fundamental problems of the tongue. And, and that's why we're including it in our training program. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, you know, this is, you know, this is, no, I don't really don't, don't do that. I don't do it. This isn't a problem for me. And if you're saying that to yourself right now, it's probably a problem because you're boasting. Right? It's not a problem for me. No, no, this is something, and we might not do it. We might not do it like the boys, like the kids, where, you know, sometimes we, we boast and, and we, just, just, we just, people lie. They just lie. But sometimes it's not that insidious, but, it, but it's smaller, and it's still, it's still kind of artificially puffing up and puffing things up and blowing things up. Pastors do it. Pastors do it. You want to hear, you get a, I almost can't hardly stand, you get a group of pastors in a room somewhere together, and they're talking about how many was in Sunday school, and how many, and they're trying to outdo, and the one fellow that can't compete, he's just over there drinking his coffee, you know, he's, he's not wanting to say anything at all. Well, we do that. Pride, pride is real, and it's an ugly thing, and it's something that we all deal with, boasting. It's got to be real because it is addressed so regularly, so often in the Scriptures. It comes up over and over again in so many contexts. And, it, and it's pretty clear in the Word that God does not look favorably upon the practice of pride-induced boasting. We're going to do a little bit of a survey of the Scriptures. I'm going to show you several verses from several different types of literature in the Scripture, several different authors, several different portions of the Scripture. The prophet Samuel, 1 Samuel 2, verse 3, said, Do not boast so proudly, or let arrogant words come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and actions are weighed by Him. Psalm chapter 12, verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. That's like, that's a really vivid picture, right? You know, cutting off lips and tongue. Psalm 75, verse 4. I say to the boastful, do not boast. End of sermon. We're done, right? If it were only that easy. 
Psalm 94, verse 4, they pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. In the Proverbs, chapter 27, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. James, we're familiar with James, chapter 4, verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And then James again, back in chapter 3, verse 5. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, this should be familiar, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. My friends, clearly boasting is something that is rooted in selfish pride and something that we have to seek to avoid. But, you know, there's actually a form of boasting that's quite admirable for believers and something that actually the Word encourages us to do. And we're going to get to that later in the sermon. That's kind of like dessert. So we're going to handle that toward the end. But first we've got to get a handle on the bad kind of boasting, the kind that we don't need to be practicing. And then we're going to work together for the positive kind. Okay, but first, before we go any deeper, let's stop. And let's pray together. Can we do that? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's take this thing to the Lord. God, our Father, we confess to you that we are a prideful people. Uh, we, we're infected with a sickness of self that, that in our, our current age has grown into this movement of self-promotion and, and self-love and and almost total self-focus and, and boasting in, in, in all of its diverse forms is, is just rooted in our own self-adoration. Our, our pride just grows and grows and swells until it must find its way out of us. And it does so through our mouths. It does so through our boasting. Yet your word proclaims that you, 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 you can't endure an arrogant heart. You, you've declared in your word in the Proverbs that pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. We know that these are things that you despise, God. So we focus our attention together today as a church upon pride, our pride, and, and the common result of our pride, which is our boasting. I, I beg you to show us the folly of our thoughts and the arrogance of our hearts that, that bursts forth out of our mouths and help, help us to, to understand and, and to recognize the occurrence of boasting when, it, when it's happening in our lives and the danger that it invites into our lives. And I pray that you would give us a, a strategy through this time of discipleship to have victory over our prideful words, the things that we utter that we should not. When we're done this day, we promise to give you all of that honor and all of that glory that is rightfully yours and that you so deserve. And we pray this together as a body. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our subject is boasting. Um, in many and perhaps most contexts, we know that it is really not a good thing. So I want us to, I want us to examine the Scriptures a little bit deeper and work together to answer this probing question, number one. You see the question on your paper? Flip on the back of that worship guide, and you'll see it right up there close to the top. What does boasting reveal 
about us. Because it does reveal things, right? I mean, it shows things. It puts things on display about us. So what does it reveal? Well, the first one we've already talked about a little bit, but I want you to go ahead. I'm going to say it. I want you to write it down because I want you to have something to take home with you. Number one, it exposes our selfishness, okay, and our vanity. Selfishness and vanity. Now, here's the thing. We know that, that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it's a pretty popular verse. Uh, Paul implores us. He almost begs us here. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Now, there's two key words here that I want you to focus on. I meant to underline them, so I can't boast because I forgot, you know what I mean? But the word conceit, see it in line two, and the word humility. Now think about those two words, conceit and humility. How do those two words in our language relate to one another? What is their relationship to one another? They're opposites, aren't they? They're like total opposites. You, you, can't, you can't have humility as a product of conceit, right? Conceit, being conceited, is not a product of humility. They are... They are Total polar opposites. So Paul, on the one hand, talks about self. He talks about selfish ambition. He talks about conceit. Then he offers a very, very, very different alternative, humility, what we know as selflessness, actually looking at others, looking at everyone else maybe, as being more important than you, than self. But this notion uh, of humility sort of flies in the face of our modern American philosophies, I do believe. You know, our, our culture today, even our educational system, and just the way our culture is designed, it encourages us, it encourages our young people to stand out and get to the top. It encourages our, our, our everyone to, to, to get noticed. You have to be noticed. And this, this need to be noticed, if you haven't noticed is the reason why these celebrity people, bless their hearts, keep doing the weirdest, strangest, craziest, most outlandish things because if they're not in the news, if they're not the focus of attention, they feel empty and they're absent and it's just something that they're seeking. And so to make a headline, to, to get out there, you know, it's, they got to do this next crazy, ridiculous thing that if, you know... If, if they had a, a, a mama around that would just, you know, want to do something with them, you know what I mean? Just jerk a crick in that neck or something, you know? Like, you know, sometimes you think, what are you thinking, you know? I mean, I don't understand the things that people do. But we have this need to, to get attention. And we have this, this feeling of worthlessness if we're not getting in a, our attention that we want. And, you know, this is what fuels our social media. So much of it is putting out a false biography, and not the real thing, this fanciful, fake portrayal of what we would like to be like. That's what you find most of the time on social media. I'm just telling you right now. If we put the real dirty laundry out, now some people do. Some people got a sickness, and they just got to put everything on there. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you know some, I don't want to know some things. Right? Can I get a witness? Y'all you know what I'm talking about? You know those. But, but for so many, it's like this false thing. They put this false persona. One of them hit the news 
not too long ago. And some of you may have seen this. I have a picture of a young woman. If you put her picture up there for me. Do you remember this from the news? Anybody else see this? Her name is Casey Sosnowski. And she likes to put herself out on Twitter and Instagram as an outdoors woman and a great guru of fitness. And the thing is, she kind of likes her body a lot. She likes to show as much of it as she can, as often as she can. And so she posted this picture on Instagram, and it had this caption with it. It said, I love hiking and being outside with nature. So this popped up on Instagram. Then about a minute later, this picture popped up on Instagram by her sister. Now see the background over there on the left? And her caption says, my sister says she's going hiking. This is our backyard. (laughs) Really happened. That man was viral. It was all over the news. We love to boast about ourselves. We love to make ourselves look bigger and more important. And in so doing, we place our selfishness And sadly, we place our vanity on full display for the entire world to see. I want to call your attention back to that verse from Philippians, chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. I know that verse doesn't mention boasting. It doesn't, but it goes to the heart of the matter, right? It goes to the heart of the matter of boasting. In in, in boasting, we attempt to elevate ourselves over everybody else around us. And, And in our minds, somehow, we achieve that elevation by listing all of our achievements and sometimes by tearing down everybody else's. That's kind of a part of it as well. In reality, there's nothing, uh, most of you would agree, I think, there's nothing more aggravating than a braggart. You know what I mean? You know that person? You know what I'm talking about? Y'all got people, don't you have people in your life who brag? Especially, I know we love our kids. We love our kids. I love my grandchildren. I love love my children. But there's some people that just, you know, it's just like if you see them coming, like, oh, I'm going to have to hear about the grandkids or something right now, man. It's It's like they went to the moon or cured cancer or something. They're just the greatest thing ever. And we all got kids and grandkids, and we all love them a whole lot, you know. But we just like, it's like, brag or brag or brag or brag or brag or brag, and we get sick of it. There's a story, and it's like from 30 years ago. It was in Grand, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there was this guy, and he had a little foreign car. He had a Japanese car, and I don't even think they make them anymore. It was a Datsun. Who bought Datsun out? Does anybody know? Nissan bought Datsun, right? He had a little Datsun, and it was like a Datsun from the 70s. And he was so proud of his little Datsun, and he constantly bragged about the gas mileage. He just, he would not, he would not keep it all. He had like a circle of about four or five friends. And all, you know, if he's coming, I was thinking, oh my gosh, here we go with the Datsun again. Of course, they lived in, where's Grand Rapids? Does anybody know? Michigan. What's in Michigan? Detroit. Motor City. It's the home, it's the American home of the American automobile such as it is and in its glory but that's you know they were true his buddies are true blue michiganders and they got this pile that all he wants to do is talk about what my great mileage my Datsun gets all the time and I only might have heard this story because it was in the news quite a while ago but what they did they worked out they hatched a plan and it might not be the plan that you're thinking about but what this circle of like four or five friends did They worked out a schedule, and every day while their friend was at work, one of them went to the lot where he worked, 
and they added two gallons of gas to his gas tank every day. Every day they put two gallons, just two gallons of gas in his gas tank. And he was losing his mind because he he's like, you will not believe the mileage I'm getting my Datsun. And they're like, yeah, right, whatever. And then, because it was getting up, by his calculations, he was getting 95 miles to the gallon. I'm getting 95 miles to the gallon. And, they're, you know, they're poo-pooing the whole thing. Like, All right, right. You know, and they're just in, in their hearts. They're like, <laughs> you know. And this went on for weeks. And it, just like, it was like the widow's might of gasoline, you know. He never had to fill up. It never went away. It just, it's just constant. And then one day, you know what they did? They stopped. The agreed-upon date. We're not doing it anymore. And the gas tank went, and you know what he did? No, he stopped. Because he had a meltdown. He's like, he, he get, the car immediately went in the shop. Something's wrong with my Datsun. Something's wrong with my Datsun. It's just not getting the mileage it was getting anymore. And, but, but the bragging did, the bragging, it quit. Isn't that hilarious? How, how, how just devious is that? I mean, to have friends that would work that hard to get you to shut your trap, you know? But they came together and they made it happen. Christian, listen, if boasting is a problem in your life, you've got to recognize the starting point is vanity. And so what we have to do is self-evaluation. You have to ask yourself, am I speaking Am I speaking in my life out of selfishness? Am I speaking out of conceit? Do I need to maybe knock myself down a peg or two and make myself lower? Because here's the thing. If you don't lower yourself a peg or two, you know what's going to eventually happen? Is someone's going to lower you. I mean, it's coming. It will come. Maybe somebody you know or don't know. Maybe the Lord will intervene and bring you down a couple of notches. But, but a correction is coming. You've got to ask yourself, must I make myself lower in order that I might lift others up with my words? Something else that boasting reveals, it puts on vivid display. Number two is it shows that we think we are really in charge of our lives. Boasting shows that we think we're running things, that we're in charge. How often do we, do we you know, chart out all of our life plans and then we launch into our life plans and then somewhere along the way in the midst of our life plans, we stop and then we ask God to bless what's going on. And usually we do that when things have turned a little bit into an uncontrolled mess. Then we will stop. And pause and get real spiritual and ask God to bless what we've already done and decided on our own and what we have already messed up. Like it or not, this is often the approach that so many of us take in our spiritual lives. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. It's just become our norm. It's become our pattern. We like to ask God's blessing after the fact. We have, we have a saying down here in the south. And when I start it, most of you will be able to finish it. We say it is so much easier to ask for forgiveness than for what? Permission. Permission. You all know that. We know that. 
We say that all the time. You know, we're talking about when, when we're having our SAR meetings, don't we, Steve? And we're like, we'll, we'll shoot the cannon downtown maybe. We need to call the police or ask them about that. You know, and somebody will always say, nah, it's a whole lot easier to ask for, permission, for forgiveness than for permission. And we know that it's, it's true. The problem is we take that philosophy, we transport it into our spiritual lives sometimes, whether we're thinking about it or not. We think about it in our walk with God. Hey, God, God's a God of grace. You know, it's all about grace, man. Just ask Paul. And, and it's a whole lot easier just to ask for forgiveness than to ask God's permission before I launch out, before I even get started. You know, James, the brother of our Lord, he offers a much different approach. Consider his appeals in James chapter 4. Look at what he says. He says, come now, you who say, well, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and, and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you're like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And remember, we read this a moment ago. All such boasting is evil. You hear what James is saying? Church, are you picking up what he's laying down? I'm just asking you. He's telling us. We are not really in control of our lives. You do not possess the ultimate control of your circumstances. God is in control. Amen? He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is in control. And listen, that is doubly true if you are a child of God, reborn in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing is, we're supposed to know. We're reborn in Jesus. We're, we're, we're children of the King. We, we're supposed to know that God's sovereign and God's in charge. Now, the world doesn't know it, doesn't recognize, doesn't recognize it, and won't, won't acknowledge it, but you know what? Even for them, God's still in charge. God is still in control because he is creator. He is Yahweh. He is sovereign. He is king. Our problem is we like to, we unknowingly, I don't know so much innocently, but we just somehow we relegate God to some other roles in our lives. And we, we push aside that notion that God is king. And can, we don't understand what kings are because we don't have one. We fought a war over that. Praise God. 1776, right? We don't have us a king anymore. So we don't relate to kings very well. We don't relate to this notion of sovereign and having someone who is in absolute and total control over my life, my breath, my, every, my income, my everything. And yet that's who God is. But we try to make him other things. I want to point out a few things that God is not. And there's some, these are some, some just common things that it seems so many, even believers today, would relegate God to a role. And I don't have any place for you to write this down. If you want to jot it down on the side, that's fine. But there's some things you need to understand. Here's the thing, church, listen. God is not a faithful sidekick. You hear me? He's not your faithful sidekick. He's not one... He's not like your Facebook friends. He's not one that's going to walk along beside you and just encourage you whatever you're doing. Because that's what we want. We want affirmation. People today want affirmation even when they're, you know, just totally spitting in the face of God. They want affirmation. He's not just your faithful sidekick. He's not like, 
you know, like Andy on the motorcycle and Barney Fife in the sidecar. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's not. That's not who God is. He's not just a wise advisor either. Although he is a wise advisor, but he's not just that, that someone that we only go to for advice when we don't have any other alternative. When we've already made a mess of everything. And then, oh, well, I guess we need to go talk to God about this now. You know, no, no, no. He's not, he's not just, you know, on the, on the hook for later. That's not, he is that, but it's not just who he is. And then finally, here's another thing he is definitely not. He is not a motherly cleaner-upper. You hear me? Think of that mother of the toddler. Y'all ever had a toddler? You mamas know what I'm talking about? Toddlers? I see mothers of toddlers who walk around nonstop. It's 24-7. They're walking around behind that toddler because you're having to pick up it because, you know, they get done with something, it goes on the floor, right? And they're picking up and they're cleaning up and they're sweeping up. And we have this notion in our society today, sometimes in the church, that God is this, this clean, you know, I make my mess, I just throw my stuff, you know, yeah, the laundry's piling up in my life, but God's going to do it for me. He'll wash all that up for me. And we assume, and we assume a bit much. We presume some things upon the person of God. We must never forget. You hear me, friends? He is sovereign. God is our king. He is in control. He's in charge. And no matter what our endeavor might be, we need to stop before we leap, and we need to consult him first. We need to consult him first. And I know... Sometimes we don't think that way. We get excited. We get in front of the Lord sometimes. You know what I mean? I mean, we get all up in front of him. What we need to do is pause and see where God's taking us and just jump in the middle wherever it is that God's taking us. There's one more thing that our boasting reveals. Thirdly, is it reveals our desire to claim the glory that truly belongs to God. We need to be really careful what we take credit for. Would you not agree with that? I mean, we need to be careful what it is that we're taking credit for. I want you to consider these words that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6. He said, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. See, Paul reminds us here, we are not our own. We're not our own. We never were our own. We have been bought with a very precious price, and that is the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And so, as a response to this magnificent, to this much undeserved grace, we have to strive, we must strive to honor God in all that we do. We have to give Him every bit of the praise and the glory. When we boast, friends, listen, when we boast... We take credit for something that was never ours to claim. It's not ours to claim. When we boast, we undermine the glory of God in order to steal a little bit of that glory for ourselves. You know, as we close today, we're going to look at an event from the Old Testament. There was once a great and mighty man of God. I'm talking about a giant of the faith in the history of Israel man who walked with God, who was obedient to the Lord, who did things that were that seemed otherworldly, that, that, that did things that God called him to do that were almost unimaginable. And yet he came to one moment in his life where he boasted in front of the people of God. And he paid a dear 
price for it. I want to read a passage for you from Numbers chapter chapter 20, starting in verse 2. It says, There was no water for the community, so they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If we had only perished when our brothers perished before the Lord, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? That's not a place of grain, figs, and vines, and pomegranates. There's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle, okay? They fell face down, and and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water, and you will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. That's the stick. Okay, And just as, just as he had commanded him, Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand, and he struck the rock twice with his staff, so that abundant water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. Isn't that awesome? Just like God intended? Yes or no? No. Where did Moses go wrong? Yeah, first, of course, God told him, you, you'll bring water out of the rock. He said, just go and speak to the rock. The instructions were, you and Aaron go out there and say, yo, rock, water. In fact, all I had to do was walk up to it. Probably, you know, God, God's God who speaks things into being. You know, remember that? In the beginning, there was nothing, darkness. Let there be light. Boop, the switch got flipped. Light, there's light. God create the, the creative power. The word of God is powerful. Gave him instruction, word, speak to the rock. That's kind of it's kind of weird if you think about it. But speak to the rock. You're supposed to speak to the rock. The first thing he did was he got that staff. Can you imagine having the staff? And that's a staff that was contained inside the tabernacle. It was stored there. You know, the staff of the Lord. Should we, my brother Aaron and me, bring water out of this rock? And then in a dramatic just takes a stick and shapow, shapow. You almost see sparks flying off of it, you know. What drama! And outflowed the water. Did Moses do what God told him to do? He kind of sort of did, but he didn't. The job got done. The problem was, and who was taking the glory for the job that was done? You hear what I'm saying? The, the manner in which it was performed? Um, yeah. Moses, is, is, as amazing as he was, as important as he was, as the, the incredible things that he had done, I mean, he, 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 had, done, he had seen and, and done unreal. I mean, he's seen waters parted, man. He's seen pillars of smoke and pillars of fire. He's seen, you know, manna. I mean, he's seen all these amazing things. I mean, he, he saw what God can do. 
And he was mad because the people of Israel rose up against him. So he saw an opportunity to build his clout. To, you know, get a few chips on his table from what he was about to do. And, and he paid a price. Because I want you to look at what happens right after that. It's where kind of, God kind of pulls them to a side for, for a little come to Jesus meeting, you know. Verse 12 says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. What did that mean to Moses and Aaron? They would never see the promised land. The promised land. God's promise. The land of milk and honey. They would never see it. Can you imagine? I, I would wonder why, why would I want to get up and take my tent down and walk another inch? You know? Everything that they live for, look forward to, all of that was removed because of an act of theft, really, thievery, stealing some glory from God. And that's what boasting does. It's an act of theft. We take from God what is rightfully His. My friends, be careful with your boasting. It can lead to dangerous thoughts. It can lead to very bad decisions, to dangerous actions, and to sometimes dreadful consequences. Let's pray together. Father God, we are humbled this day by the challenge of your word. As we read it deeply and with hearts and eyes that are open, we see that even a man who's a giant of the faith, a man such as Moses, struggled with arrogance. He struggled with pride. Yes, he even struggled with, with, with boasting and, and that, that very transparent truth demonstrates for us in absolute clarity how each and every one of us will face that same struggle in our lives. Not one of us is immune. I pray you give us the wisdom to, to recognize our own, our own self-centeredness and our own vanity when, when those things rear their ugly heads in their lives, and they will. Help us to remember that we're not truly in charge of our own lives. We never have been. We never will be. Help us to know beyond any doubt that you alone are sovereign, you are our king. And Father, may we never, ever, ever presume to claim upon the glory and honor that are rightfully yours. For these, Father, are the foundational thoughts. These are the behaviors that lead to our boasting. God, never allow me to boast about me. I pray that you would give me a heart that would desire to boast only about you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, that beautiful name above all names. Amen. Look on the back of your welcome card. Rip that right out of your worship guide. This is a discipling message.